Hi everybody and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Today, we welcome on Kevin Harper. Kevin is a former two-time Muay Thai world champion and now owns his own gym that is home to multiple champions. He was also an ex-secondary school teacher and his incredible ability to both teach and coach large groups is as good as you will see. His passion for coaching is very evident to see in this interview and we know you're all going to enjoy it. Kevin Harper, welcome and thank you for being with us today. No problem. For those that read the book, they'll know that you featured in it, but what a lot of listeners don't know is you were actually my high school PE teacher. So I left high school in 2008, so quite a long time ago now, but I have, a, I have extremely fond memories of my time at high school, especially with you as my teacher. So it's an absolute privilege to have you on the podcast with us today. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. Before we go into the conversation, can you just share with us your background in teaching and in Muay Thai and coaching? Yeah, so um, initially I started Muay Thai when I was 13, 14 years of age. I was involved in a severe road accident and uh, my journey from, I used to play football or um, soccer as you guys call it. Um, so I used to play football quite a lot, it was a good, good, really good standard. Um, and then following the road accident, uh, a road accident which nearly killed me, was in hospital for four months. Um, extremely bad uh, head injuries, broken leg, and uh, the, the 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 physical attributes that I had um, following uh, four months of skeletal traction uh, disappeared. So Thai boxing came as a as a vehicle to get fit, really. And then as soon as I started, I just really fell in love with it and really enjoyed it. And it's been a a massive part of my life for coming up. Well, for, for over over 30 years now. At the end of my degree, so I've always trained and fought and everything, and then at the end of, the, end of my degree, I went into uh, teach training. I uh, got a job uh, at a local school in Wigan. Uh, started work there in 1997 and had a 15 wonderful years uh, working in education. And alongside, as I said, alongside of that time working in education, my fight career really developed. Um, so in 2002, I became a world champion. I won another world title in 2003, up until I retired uh, from competition in 2007. Um, and then, as most professional fighters do, you always want that one, one last dance. Came back in 2010, had a couple more goals, um, and then retired again officially in 2011. And uh, uh, I would never get back in there ever again. It's a young man's sport. Certainly, uh, my time has, has been and gone. Thanks, Kev. Now, I, I've got to ask this question. Look, you've got a, you've a busy life. 
you're teaching, you're full time, you're training, and you've got home life. How on earth yeah. do you balance all of that? It's one of the reasons why I sort of left education, really, is because if I was at school, I was still training and doing a bit myself. I was then going to work, coming back from work, going to the gym, spending time with a little one. Um, and it was just too much of a, too much of a, I was juggling too many balls. And then um, in 2013, I decided to go full time with a gym to give me a bigger home life balance, really, so I could spend more time with my son, spend more time at home. And I know I get the best of both worlds. I get teaching children and working with top level athletes, but it's on my time. It's on my, it's on my schedule as opposed to having to do all singing, all dancing all the time for sometimes for, for, for children that don't really benefit or, or really value what you're giving them. Um, whereas the people that I work with now are highly appreciative of the time that I put into them um, and they want to be there. So it's a win-win situation for me. And as I said, to top it all off, I get a better home life balance as well, which is, which is probably the most important thing really. And so 2002-2003, we take you back in your timeline, you know, when you, were, when you were a world champion. What sacrifices were made for you to become a world champion, Kev? Uh, I was doing everything that I possibly could. I'd get up stupid o'clock in the morning. I'd be running weight training, uh, getting showered, going to work, um, coming back from work, um, possibly getting another weight session in there if I could, or maybe even a fitness session, depending on what. Um, the after school commitments were like and then I'd be to the gym six days a week uh, in the evening time and then going home following that marking uh, the weekends and obviously as a PE teacher I had extracurricular commitments as well so it was where I couldn't where I couldn't be at the gym because of work commitments I'd bend over backwards to do things and, and do things in my own time. And I prioritised because I realised from training in Thailand and experiences internationally that there were fighters out there were training more often than me. So what I had to prioritise was, was quality over quantity. Um, so I would always fit stuff in. And, and even if it was only a short session, make it as intense as I possibly could and make it as quality as I possibly could. To, to make sure that I was doing as much as possibly or even more in some respects, even though I wasn't doing it in the amount of time, but really focusing with the attention to detail, focusing on the quality of the training to make sure that I could fit everything in and do it that way. Kev, I actually remember a story about you that my dad told me, and it, it was based around hard work. And real simple, he said, uh, if you want to be excellent at what it is you do you've got to do extra and he referred back to you he said when Kev gets asked to do 10 push-ups he does 11 so it was very evident that you were an unbelievably hard worker but when you were in your prime as a fighter how would you describe yourself were you a technician were you a tactician were you a physical specimen quite early on I was probably more technical and then because I used to think about it and became a real student of, of Muay Thai and studied it massively, I became extremely tactical 
and those were the two main things that was the the, the sort of pr- the priorities for me. Then, at the same time, as I became in my physical prime, I realised that um, that the the physical sorry the skill side of it was was great and the tactical side of it was great but at the same time you've got to be you've the difference that made the difference was only a minuscule amount so i had to be the best i had to be the fittest i had to be the strongest i had to be the 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 most the most intense in the gym so i would do everything that i possibly could to give myself the the chance to go out there and, and and perform to the highest possible level that i could I know I've known you quite a while, Kev. During this period when you've been training, was there a defining moment in your career when you thought, you know, it's time to close the curtain on competing? I know you've retired, you've retired yeah, two, twice, haven't two, you? Yeah, 2007 um, was a premature. It was kind of forced on me. Not, not, not forced on me, but I made the decisions that I made. My wife was pregnant with my son. And my mum was terminally ill. So it was just one of those things where... And I had a long and wonderful career. And the time that I lost was probably at my... So most most fighters really peak in the mid, the late 20s and early 30s. Like professional footballers, really. You're at the best. You, you see more in the game. You, you might not be the quickest, but your experience will get you into a position, particularly like something like centre-halves and... In the ring, I just found myself as I was getting older, I was getting better and better and better and better. Um, and then it just, as I said, a few things happened at the same time and it was a case of I needed to prioritise my time better, uh, especially with my mum, who didn't have long to live. And then, unfortunately, my mum died in 2008. Oh, you, you fought abroad as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fought over in Thailand. We, we, Thailand, share with us. Yeah. all over. All over, all over Europe, Thailand. Um, been to Thailand a couple of times. Fought live on Thai TV, which back then, I mean, it's quite quite common now. But back then, in two thousand and four, when I went over, there, there wasn't that really that kind of avenue there. There was there was no FaceTime. There was no there was no Zoom. So it was and there was there was certainly no language. Um, I didn't speak any Thai or cursory things like thank you and hello and things like that. But my um, Thai's a lot better now. But at the time in 2004, I didn't know anything, and the Thais they didn't know any English. So it, I think in I think in the six weeks summer holidays that I went over uh, for school, I, I think I read eight books, nine books, and I was just literally training or reading. Um, or just literally resting and waiting for the next training session. And it's a really, it's a really hard life training in Thailand. It's really difficult and, and it's very physically demanding anyway. Um, but even, even more so when you're so isolated. You're married at this point, and you went over to yeah. Thailand for six no, no. weeks to train. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't married at that point. I wasn't married at that point. Two thousand and four, I wasn't married. Um, initially, it was. It was just, oh, I was engaged, but we only got married in 2006. So it was still um, very much the focus of, of my life was, was training and competing and being the best version of me that I possibly could. Uh, uh, fantastic. And then in 2011, you turned your back on professional fighting. 
yeah. that's when you officially I mean, retired. I, I came I came back in two thousand and ten. I had a couple of fights, a couple of fights in two thousand and ten, and a fight in two thousand and eleven. But by the time two thousand and eleven had come, I, everything was hurting. I was too old, um, and I probably shouldn't have taken that fight. I knew that I was only going into it half-hearted. Uh, I couldn't. I mean, the 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 amount of effort that I used to put in training. But at that point, I'd already had the, I'd got the gym. So as well as working full time, as well as being a parent, um, my wife had been unwell at that point as well. I was I was a line manager in school as well, so I was literally juggling too many balls, um, and, it, and something I had to give. And then you know because because you're experienced, you think you know it all and and everything. So not know it all, but you become. You become reliant on that um, experience, and I was I was nowhere near in this yet that that I've been in, in previously for some of my fights. Um, and as I said, I'd already made the decision that this was the final dance. But it is what it is, and um, and uh, and unfortunately, I didn't go out on a high. I went out on a low. But it was uh, it was too it was it was it was one last dance too many. Yes, I think. So you you dropped in the, the your your wife was poorly. Yeah, she, that any, she was un, yeah. she was unwell and she'd been unwell in many points of her life and in two thousand wow. and and then she she died in two thousand and thirteen. Listen, a slight change attack. So in two thousand and thirteen, you know, you made a decision to go into yeah, there, there, there was a, there was a, yeah, there's a lot going on. So leaving education so I could. So I could be around my home life balance more was important. And at the end of 2013, I launched the new gym as well. So there was a huge amount of change going on in that in that portion of my life. It was very turbulent, to say the least, but it's one of the best things I've ever done in relation to uh, opening the gym. Uh, and I've never looked back and I, I would never go back to education, even though I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'd never go back. It, it's the, the the life that I have now is a much better life in relation of um, work life balance um, and that the the whole sort of time that I get to spend um, with my with my son and my stepson as well because I remarried a few years ago. So um, I'd never go back to education. Time's too important for me now. I guess you still you still are educating, aren't you? Coaching, you mentoring. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's a different kind, a different kind of education, uh, but very much it, it's the best of both worlds. I get to have my cake and eat it. Really, I get to work with some fantastic children, superb athletes, and at the same time, I'm working with people that want to be there, as opposed to having to fight with kids sometimes and and deal with kids that didn't really want to do it and didn't want to be there. So, as I said, it's the best of both worlds, isn't it? So, listen, tell us a little bit about about your gym. Tell us a little bit about how many champions you currently train with. The gym's like a conveyor belt, and it, the the number of fighters that I've had, um, as, as opposed to, I mean, I've got some really good lads now. Uh, Josh, Josh Hill's a, a really promising up-and-coming lad. He's just fought for the UK number one spot. He's uh, 20 years old. He's 21, 21 next 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 month. Oh, this month, sorry. He's 20, 21 this month. Um, and he's fought internationally. He's fought in Thailand. He was uh, WBC World ranked. 
Um, as I said, he's he's only a young lad, but he's been with me for ten since ten years of age. So from that very first uh, first few days of opening the gym, this young gangly little streak of piss walks in, and a naughty little shit. And and he's been with me virtually from the first day, and and he's come through that process now of of being in the gym for such a long time that he's he's really developed now his physicality is a lot better he's matured a lot physicality um his fight sense he's really smart um and he he's he's come on leaps and bounds i've got another young fighter called ryan stockley he's just been signed by yoko i've got a lad called dan bonner who's wbc will ranked number eight uh he's he's a big lad it's really hard and I've got a really deep stable of fighters that I'm producing at the moment Glenn Blackburn Matty Holleran um, Aaron Walker Rachel Traverse there's there's real quality throughout um, but going back a uh, number of years there was I had another crop uh, of younger people back there sorry people back then but they were kind of at the end of their careers uh, came to me when they were a bit older Danny Horton Gavin Rogerson people like that came to me when they were older and they've sort of like retired, moved on. Um, and now it's about that constant uh, turning the wheel and bringing the next group of people through, really. Um, and I've got a real good group of people now, some really talented athletes in the gym, which uh, are really thriving at the moment. Kev, what type of coach are you, if you were to describe yourself? So um, the way that you were coached, are you similar to the way you were coached? Or? It depends though, doesn't it? Because there's, there's, you're coaching for different reasons. There's, there's coaching classes. So if I, part, of, part of the job is as well as coaching excellence, you've got to coach every day as well. So there's delivering really good classes which are engaging, which are fun, which builds on the back of everything that I did working in education. There's that side of it. And if you've got a successful gym and you're a good coach, you'll have a successful gym and a profitable gym, which allows me to pay the bills and, and, and live my life. But then the stuff you do with the high-end fighters, the elite, that's, that's completely different. That's real attention to detail. That's a mixture of all the things, all the experiences that I've had in the past, sort of merging into one and, and guiding these these really wonderful people through to the next stage of their journey and, and taking them to as, uh, as high as I possibly can with those guys. Um, so there, there, there's coaching for different reasons, really. There's, there's the, 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 the business coach and then there's the high-end coach, there's the elite coach. Um, so all of those people come out in numerous times during the day every day um because i do one-to-ones i do group classes i work with a high-end coach high-end athletes in the sessions as well um so you're kind of dragging everybody as high as you possibly can with all the time with all the experiences that you're giving them to make sure that they can be the best versions of themselves and kevers i mentioned at the start of this interview you featured in the book yeah. In chapter seven, you spoke about having to praise your athletes, but on different levels. Can you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah, so yeah. so if you're teaching a class of kids or you're teaching a class, you're teaching people that might not go on to fight. Because no matter, no matter what you do in the gym or no matter what class I'm delivering, I'm training them like they're going to fight. 
they might not fight some of them will never compete but a lot of them will want to compete and in the back of the mind they'll think mm, what, what if i can compete so i'm flogging them i'm killing them i'm making it really specific i'm giving them intensity i'm giving them specific instructions and putting them through the mill really to get them to the point where they're going to improve themselves. So though all those people need particular praise as a group of, oh, you did this well, you did that well, you did this well. And then at the same time, going around praising people individually, that was good. That particular thing was good and they go away and they have a huge sort of buzz about the fact that you're giving them content. And, and the fact that that was kind of a bread and butter thing that I did in education, working with 30 kids at a time, working with 60 kids at a time if I was doubling up and being able to give, feedback to, to to people all the time in no matter what situation was 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 sort of integral to be to being a teacher and probably not many people will be able to do that uh, in a coaching setting because they've not got the skills to be able to sort of step back and look at the whole situation whereas I can do that because of my experiences in teaching but at the same time I'm in there I'm working with them I'm, I'm kicking them I'm punching them I'm whacking them with the pads so I might be working one-on-one -on -one with somebody but at the same time I've got my eye cast on the whole group and because of that I'm able to praise and speak to the whole group because I'm watching what they're doing as well and the one-on-one -on -one stuff comes a bit more is you, it might be if you're preparing somebody for a fight so you might be two weeks away we might have been working on something uh, for, for a, a particular game plan for a fighter for, for a particular fighter so we might say right we'll be doing this we're doing that oh, that was good right what can we we're going to change that a little bit and you, it's that constant um, circle of of, of self-evaluation and improvement that you you're aiming to uh, push and drag these people uh, into a level where they're going to be better than themselves so it, as I said it depends on the group it depends on the individual but you've got to be praising all the time nobody likes not being praised um, and if you can praise people it just makes their journey a little bit more palatable I'm curious around so you're working with a variety of different athletes all in the same yeah at the same time you know your IN athlete your beginner the the one who's coming along and getting getting an experience but i'm curious as to you're working you're kicking you're using the pads how the heck do you keep you manage that in terms of your situational awareness what are you actually watching out for and what what are the triggers or cues that tells you that somebody needs something else even though you're working with an individual? You're watching for, for the things that you've asked them to do. So are they doing it the right way? Or are they doing it the way that I want them to do it? They might be doing it the right way, but it might not be the way that I want them to do it. So I'm looking at, are they following instructions? Are they doing it the way that I want them to do it? And then certainly if they're not, they need... So they might be training they might be training really hard they might be putting lots of effort in um but at the same time if uh, a comment or change this change that will make it even better 
they're constantly striving for excellence. You're constantly pushing them to that next level. So feedback's really crucial all the way through. And praise is crucial for, that was good, but can you do this? Now can you do this? Now can you do this? And as I said, in education, that's something that you do secondhand. It, it's something after years of experience, after 15 years of working in education, it becomes automatic, really, that you kind of, you step back, you look in, you do this and you do that, and you're working with that child and you're working and you're differentiating and you're making it and challenging everybody in your class all the time. So um, it's difficult, but at the same time, once you've done that process with really challenging children, doing it with a group of people that are pushing themselves to the limit, it's pretty easy in, in fairness. But as I said, you've got to be able to step back and have a look and see what's going on and sort of, understand it's going to come from what you want it to look like really so what do i want them to do how do i want them to do it and if it's not if it's not happening that way i need to convey that message i need to say that's really good but i kind of give them a shit sandwich that was really good however that was something that you could work on but it was still really good keep going so i'm I'm pretty good at shit sandwich it's something that i've used for years how do you differentiate between praising effort and praising performance then? You're working with both just the yeah. everyday athlete well, and then someone... Uh, yeah, everyday athlete, everybody gets praised for working hard anyway. Praising, praising performance, it can come in a variety of ways. It might be verbal, it, it may be maybe non-verbal. But when you're praising performance, you're really looking for the fine details. But effort, anybody can give effort. Do you know what I mean? As a footballer, as a footballer, one thing that destroys me is when you see players not trying. Because as an athlete, or the worst thing for me is when, you, as as watching professional football, because I'm a big football fan, I always have been, is when you see players not playing to try and get somebody to sack. I think that's tantamount to theft. And then all of a sudden, the 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 manager gets sacked. And then normal services resumed. It's kind of when Ranieri was sacked from Leicester and then Craig Shakespeare comes in and then the players turn it back on. And it's a case of, well, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself not applying your trade, not doing your best. And if you're not doing your best as a professional athlete, you think, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? We've not mentioned the name of the gym. So Majestic Gym, the Facebook yeah, Majestic page. Gym. We have a a Facebook page, we're on uh, Instagram, Majestic Gym, Twitter is Majestic Gym 1, www.majesticgym.com is our website for all your uh, needs and uh, we link very heavily into socials and when the lockdown comes in, we'll be taking over the internet all over again. I'm actually, I'm missing the videos, I go on your on your Facebook and the gym Facebook and some of the videos that go on, I share them with people that I'm around. There's ones with you working with the top athletes, champions, but the ones I enjoy the most are when you're working with the Kids. three and four year olds. Yeah, I love and- that. I love that. Absolutely love that. And one of the things that really got me into education is I love working with athletes. I love working with high-end athletes, but probably what gives me more joy than anything else is working with younger children and particularly when they find something challenging particularly when they find it hard and then you kind of break something down in a way that gives them success 
that for me is worth gold. That is that is the gold dust in your book that 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 you just aspire towards. And that that person, that child, will go away from that experience just overjoyed and and just full of exuding confidence. And you can't put a price on that. And and those experiences really. I mean, there was a point in. I think it was about 2005. I was at the point where I was, I was looking to go into special ed. We're working with children with special educational needs because, as I said, I've always had a great rapport with uh, children's um, children with special educational needs. And at school where I used to work, I was the link teacher. We used to have a a, a partner school that came in where special. Uh, school with special ed and the the process was integrating children into mainstream education and I was the link tutor for for PE so I dealt with and brought a lot of those children and and taught them alongside mainstream and uh, able-bodied children and they might be physical disability they might be uh, children with mental illnesses uh, there may be some with downs and it was integrating those kids into the classes and seeing them walk away with huge smiles on the face was, 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 was the reason for going to work really and made it all much more worthwhile uh, and being in education was, was made more, more palatable and, and much more enjoyable by working with those particular kids. So I, I, I do enjoy working with children and I, and I love working with children, particularly you find skills challenging then at the same time later on giving them the tools to be successful and then when they are successful it's it's wonderful absolutely wonderful for those that are listening you can sense and get the get the feeling of somebody who's got real hunger and a passion to to educate teach mentor coach people and you know i i go back to something when you mentioned a little earlier about You've got Josh Hill and you've got, you know, you've remembered his birthday to 21 this month. But, you know, when we interviewed you, Kev, we asked you a question about when you're working with your high-end fighters. And I, I suspect Josh is in and around that. Yeah. And the type of nonverbal cues that take place. You also mentioned that some of them read you so artfully and skillfully. Yes. It becomes like a dance. Yeah, so it's like when you're doing pads with somebody, you're replicating. So a lot of the time, I, I, I spend an awful lot of time watching opponents for, for, the, fight, for the fighters that, that my lot, and I will watch them and, and I'll look for things that they do well. I'll look for things that they don't do so well. Um, and, I'll, and I'll replicate that when I'm holding pads. So I'll replicate the way that the opponent will stand and move excuse me, so that the fighter's got that kind of, that predicated uh, way of fighting sort of as a standard for a few weeks of building up to the fight. Hopefully we can get a long time. Sometimes it's quite hard to do when you take a last minute fight, but when you're building up with somebody and you're trying to develop them and you're doing your best to mimic the way that the, their opponent moves and stands and a lot of the weapons that they use and also the things that they get caught with and ways to land those particular shots. So moving in that particular way, and it's quite difficult at first because you have a particular way that you normally do it or that opponent will be different from the last opponent and 
how do we do this right well we're going to do this in this way and and then you're explaining things in initially and then gradually you're taking the vision you're taking the auditory cue away until you're actually just performing in a particular way that mimics that style and then you're training the opponent you're training the fighter to to recognize the cues and and follow the shot and land and land and land and move in a particular way that's going to make it difficult for the opponent so you've got a more a better percentage chance of of winning the fight and getting the right decision uh, so yeah the, there's a lot of that that goes on and there's a lot of that that, that goes on even in the normal classes um, even from beginners, you know, this is how you stand and how you move, and your opponent's going to do this or what. How can you defend that? What what can you do here? And you're always asking questions. You're always trying to get them to elicit the right answers uh, by verbally telling you, but also by showing you as well. Right? If I do this, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are your choices? How can you do that? What would be a better choice? That was good. If you could do that again, what would be a better choice? How could you change that? Okay, what can you throw here? And there's, there's, there's a constant dialogue. But then, as I said, the more higher end it becomes and the closer to the competition it becomes, it's more nonverbal. And it's more, it's more, it's more um, you're replicating the fight. You're putting your opponent, you're putting the fighter through the paces, pretending to be the opponent and, and seeing what happens and seeing how they respond. And it, it's a formula that works really well for us. Um, and of the of the successes that Jim have had over the last few years, it's something that I'll continue to do as well in the future. You're pretty much mimicking. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, right term yeah, to use. yeah, yeah, yeah. Model. I'm I'm modelling. I'm modelling the opponent's style. I'm modelling. So I watch an opponent and and sort of look at the things that they do well and the things that they rely on. So percentage, percentage if you look at percentages they're going to do this more often than that so you, you you're setting them up to defend and then counter from that as well uh muay thai is very much about countering um and very uh, and my fighters have got good defense as well so it's important to be offensive and and hurt your opponent and, and land things but at the same time you start with the defense you start with everything solid basics because if you're getting caught and getting hurt, um, it's different in football because you, you can you can concede two goals and win f and still win the game. But in, if you take two big shots in a fight, that might change the tide of the fight to move away from you. Um, so it's really important that defence is paramount, and and I, and I look at that firstly with everything. Um, and we always start of when I've got a fight plan coming up and we look at an opponent and this is who you're fighting, we look at and I look at, uh, right, this is how they're going to approach it. This is what they're going to do. So we, do, we start from the defence and then once the defence has been sorted, we can start countering and picking shots and then picking shots as they're countering as well. So countering the counter as well. So it, it, it's, it's complicated, but at the same time, it's very successful. It's, it's a good model for us to be to use uh, to, to, to win fights. Modelling is obviously yeah, is one of your greatest strengths, Kev. What, what are the strengths? What are your greatest strengths as the coach? The ability to teach, not coach, but to teach groups. As a businessman, that 
puts money on the table. That that pays the rent. That that's one of the reasons why the classes are busy. And then also doing that with other coaches as well. So we have a boxing coach and MMA coach, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu coaches, and giving them guidance and feedback when they're coaching to make to to make all the sessions. So you're not just coming to one session, which is good. All the sessions a really really high end so being able to do the job that i was doing as a line manager in education is is the job that i'm doing now but uh for, for me and, and, and for my business so working with people developing them helping um there's a couple of a couple of coaches who've, who've developed massively over the last few years in part to me but also in part from helping each other and watching other things that are going on um which is it's just a wonderful thing to see and go in, uh, to see and see develop going on in the gym, um, and that means as a business, the the business is more profitable. Um, you've not got a weak link that people are not coming to X person's classes, but they're coming to all the classes because the quality's in depth. Because no matter what you come into, you're getting a really high end training opportunity. Kev, who've been your mentors or people that have helped steer you as an athlete? And also as a coach? Oh, I'd, I'd say everybody that I've ever en- encountered with is in Thai boxing, really. Uh, from the fights that I had to the people that coached. I still speak to friends that I've got now, getting their opinions on different things and different advice that I might get. Uh, I've got a good couple of friends called Darren Phillips, who's a coach in Bury, Richard Smith, who's probably the most... Uh, successful English UK coach, uh, English coach in Thai boxing. His, his list of achievements with the, the athletes that he's worked with, um, uh, unbelievable. Uh, and Richard and I have been friends for 20 odd, well, 25 years. Um, so it's been, it's been useful to speak to those because they've, they're, they're, they're further down the line with their gyms. Um, and speaking to those people, speaking to Darren, speaking to, um, to Richard who provided me with these great assistance, but also I get I get so much uh, I get so much information from the people in the gym. I get so much information from opponents and other coaches and other coaches who are opponents of the coaches. So I'll speak to them afterwards and we'll and we'll talk. And I'm always taking on board things. I'm I'm always receptive to new ideas. I'm always thinking about things. Um, I'm a great student of the sport. And I'll be constantly watching things, constantly evolving. Um, and the coach that I am now will probably be a different coach than I am in, in a few years' time because I'll have had more things added to my ball. I'll have had more strings added to my ball, be more developed in certain areas. So this is really only the starting point for me. And I'm hungrier than ever for success. Um, I want to, I want the lads to be super successful. I want them to be more successful than I ever was. Um, so... I'm I'm hugely I'm hugely grateful for all the experiences that I've had, which have led me to this point. But this is only really the start. So, final question for you: as a coach, but also as a, a mentor and a coach developer, what, in your opinion, are the key skills that a coach needs to have? Everyone says this in interviews. What's your greatest skill? I'll go. I'm a great communicator. You've got to be a great communicator. You've really got to be able to infuse, motivate, instill 
discipline with your people. You've you've got to, but at the same time, there's there's got to be that subject knowledge there. If you don't have the subject knowledge, you'll you'll not get the success that you that you'll need with your athletes. So you need the ability to communicate, and artfully so is is probably the most important thing. Being able to develop rapport, being able to have that wonderful subject knowledge to be able to say the right thing to the right person, which changes the experience for the better, is, is absolutely crucial. But uh, and and as well, you've got to have fun because if it's not fun, if you if you aren't physically enjoying that journey, you, you'll you'll exhaust from it really quickly. You'll tire from it really quickly. And I'm really fortunate in the fact that I used to go to work for 15 years and. I don't go to work anymore. I go and do the thing that I love because even if I wasn't doing Muay Thai, even if I was doing another job, I would still be doing Muay Thai in the evenings and still be involved in it somehow. But I'm really fortunate the fact that my life has now led me to the point where I never have to work another day for the rest of my life. I just go and do the thing that I love, the thing that defines me, the thing that enthralls me, the thing that gives me so much passion and enjoyment. And I get to do that every single day and this lockdown's been an absolute pain in the ass because I've not been able to get to the gym I'm not bothered about the money or anything like that I want to get back I want to get back working with athletes working with kids and doing doing the thing that I love really and my gardening skills are poor my my cooking skills are poor but the thing that I can do really well is I can I, I can work people in Muay Thai and I'm looking forward to getting back Kev it's been a a very insightful, very, very rewarding experience re- recording this. I know you quite well. We spent quite a lot of time together. And for those that don't know you, I've got to say you're one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. Highly competitive, highly intelligent, but equally extremely driven. And for someone that was world champion in, in a sport, take some doing. Because the world's a big place. And now for you to be working on and building a, a successful business, a highly successful business, I wish you every success. Thank you very much. Thanks ever so much for taking, taking the time out with us today to do what you've done. No problem. Always a pleasure. And if there's any way I can ever help you in the future, you know where I am. Uh, you've been instrumental in my career. And any way that I can repair that, yeah, I'll always be there. And uh, well done to David for uh, co-authoring the book and, and doing all the donkey work on it. It's been a wonderful experience working with you both. And as I said, anytime you need me in the future, I'll always be there. Final thing from me. I think it's a testament to you that there's a lot of your ex-students that you taught that stay in contact with you, that are at your gym, and personally for me, so my dad and I, we did a podcast a good few weeks ago now, and we had to name a five-a-side team of the most instrumental people for us in coaching and teaching. And my dad, he decided that he was having more picks than I was. I think he pulled rank, <laughs> senior rank. So he pulled, he pulled senior rank and took three of the picks, and I had two of them. And you were one of my picks. Oh, thank you very In much. terms of the influence that you've had on my life, as a teacher and even now just looking at the videos that you put on the gym website they're absolutely fascinating i love watching them i can't wait for you to get back and for anybody that's listening 
I implore you to follow the gym. If you live nearby to go to the gym, because you'll have a wonderful experience. And Kev, again, I can't thank you enough. And we're really pleased we've been able to have you on today. No problem at all. It's been a pleasure. Uh, stay safe and I look forward to seeing you both soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you everybody.